This podcast is sponsored by Barclay Estates and Management Bristol. Whether you're a landlord or a tenant, Barclay Estates and Management are committed to providing you with the best possible service. We provide a hassle-free service for landlords and access to properties all over Bristol and the surrounding areas. Hello and welcome to Robins Reunited. My name is Patch and since starting Robins Reunited, I've been looking forward to getting my two favourite former Robins called Lee on the podcast. Unfortunately, <laughs> Lee Miller and Lee Trundle weren't available, so <laughs> we've got Peacock and Matthews. How are you chaps? Yeah, sound. All good? Yeah, absolutely. Right, Patch, good to see you mate. Yeah, good to see you guys. Uh, only joking, you are obviously my favourite Lees, um, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks so much for joining us. This one's been a, a while in the making. You you guys are, are very busy. Um, Lee with his his role at Swindon and obviously Matthews as a as an agent. So I uh, appreciate your time tonight. And what we've been trying to do with these Robins Reunited, so this is ep- actually episode eight um, of getting two ex-pros or ex-players and staff back together um, to just reminisce on old times. And I know that you two... We're thick as thieves back in the day, and uh, I've got plenty of stories to tell. And we'll come on to some of them, but uh, we'll have a little bit of a focus on football as well. Um, so coming to you first, Mr. Peacock, I'm going to just say Peacock and Matthews, I think, because if I say Lee, you'll both talk. Um, so from, from Paisley in Scotland and started out in Carlisle. So how did the journey from Paisley to Carlisle come in your early football days? Um, basically, my... Uh, my mum remarried. She, uh, the guy was, uh, she married a guy called Ian, was working at Sellafield in Cumbria. So we were living in Paisley. He was travelling back and forward every weekend. And it just made more sense. That's where the job was, where the money was. We moved down there. So the nearest kind of football club, the only club in the county is Carlisle. So actually, I was at Newcastle for a little bit. Um, and they, it was too early for them to offer Callum to offer me a contract early doors to go to ITS with them. I was realistic. One thing I was, uh, when my playing did, I was realistic of my abilities and thought of getting Newcastle, who had just gone up to the kind of Premier League, they were top of the championship. I just went, no, I'll just go Carlisle. And it worked It worked out okay. We shot the guy who kind of kept me out of getting a contract at Newcastle. He ended up coming to Carlisle. He got released straight away and he'd been top goal scorer in the league. He's gone for the Reds, but it's just when, when a team can sign multi million pound players, it's difficult for the youth to get opportunities. So he came one way and I went the other, and then eventually he fell out of football relatively quick, the lad. So um, that's how I ended up there. Fair, fair play. And from Carlisle, you went on to Mansfield and then to Man City, where you were assigned by uh, the city legend, Joe Royal. Um, yeah. And that was a star studded Premier League squad um, at the time. Do you still keep in touch with any of those players? No, I don't keep in touch with it's, it's really, It's really weird. I um, I didn't enjoy football a great deal, if I'm totally honest. And we went out, I will say, at Bristol City, we had a great dressing room. And we, can we all went out all together. And Matthews will tell you a little bit more about how everybody still speaks. I'm not so much in there, but that was for other reasons. Going to, going to my, my City, there was, there was nobody there who I classed as a friend. As soon as I got there... I'm so sure it was a director at Carlisle's son, a guy called David Chato. I bumped into him on a night out, really enough. And then we had extended friends. So I would never go out with the footballers. I would socialise with them or anything. Yeah. The few times I did, I was the one who got in trouble. So I decided just to stay away from them. Uh, so non, it was it was a really assigned injured. I needed an up on my knee and then just never really got the opportunity to prove myself, if I'm honest. So okay. that was what it was. Well, you found your way to Bristol City, down to the promised land uh, of Bristol in the year 2000, signing for £600,000 by Danny Wilson. So what did you remember about that move? How did it come about? Uh, basically, Joe Royal pulled us to the pulled us to the side um, because I'd only been there a year and obviously they were signing the likes of George Ware and Paolo Wanchop and everything coming through. And he goes, Robert, we already had Sean Gorter, City legend, um, Paul Dickov, they had a few younger strikers as well coming through, and I just thought well, I'm not going to get going to get into Dan on the on the bench at best. So he said they've come in for a bid. We really accept it. It's up to you if you want to go. I still had four years on my contract at City, at uh, Man City. I came down and I loved it. I knew Danny Wilson and I knew like a few of the players. Knew what it was all about, and I was really interested straight off the bat. I wanted to come down. On the way down, my mate actually rang me. <laughs> 
<laughs> my mate rang us and he was taking over a bar at the time. So that kind of made things even more. Just where my head was at the time, I was a nightmare. But he was taking over a bar. And then literally on the same week I'm getting this move and it all just kind of fell nicely together. Um, right. So it was, a, it was a no-brainer with getting down there. But I, 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 straight away, I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. There's a good dressing room that got, over the years, got better and stronger just for being massively, um, we kind of underachieved to say the least. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one because uh, you know, I've had several players on from that era, and they've they've had similar similar things to say. You know, the thing that stands out for me always is the strength of the dressing room um, and the family feel in the dressing room as well. Um, you made your debut. It was an opening day away win versus Wrexham. How much do you remember about that? <laughs> the only thing, everybody was really good in the dressing room. But Thorpey was a bit cold towards me. I didn't know straight away whether it was a threat. But then I just realised it was his ego. That's what he was like. <laughs> He's still like that now. He's a fucking nightmare. Oh, shit, Thorpey again. Nah, that's yeah. fine, mate. Um, no. But that's that's how he was. He just It wasn't him being horrible. It was just how he was. He had a real competitive edge. And he liked you. I don't know. He wouldn't embrace you straight away. Yeah. Um, but the rest of them did. We just kept you at arm's length. Well, spot, there were some great. On, there were some great stories on uh, the one with uh, with Thorpey, Scotty, and uh, and Lewis about him parking in Scott Davidson's car parking space. So uh, in his boxster. So yeah, I can oh, imagine. Yeah. I can imagine the scenes. Um, yeah. We'll we'll come we'll come on to some memorable city moments for you in a minute, Lee. But I'm going to switch to to Mr. Matthews now. Uh, so Lee Matthews, born in Middlesbrough began at Leeds United in 1997, again with some big names, Paul Robinson, Johnny Woodgate, Alan Smith, etc. You made three appearances in the Premier League for Leeds, replacing Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank on your debut. How about that? Yeah, not bad, eh? Um, yeah, it started bright for me, to be fair. A little bit opposite from Leeds' career, really. Um, from Middlesbrough, Leeds were obviously a really successful team at the time. So I got the opportunity to go there, obviously took it. Had a very successful youth like career there, like you say. There was Kuhl, Woodgate, Robinson, MacPhail, Jones, Mahibri. The list was endless, really. Um, won the league, won the Youth Cup, and then a lot of us progressed together into the first team, really. Um, and then I was on the bench a lot. I was part of the Champions League squad a lot, but just couldn't quite break in. And then broke and dislocated my ankle quite badly. So I missed nearly a year of football. And then in that year, they signed Huckabee, Robbie Keane, Fowler, Bridges, Viduka. So obviously by the time I got fit, you knew the writing was on the wall, you know. Um, so then one day Eddie Gray just pulled me at the office and said, Lee, we received a few bids from, it was Grimsby, Stoke, Tramia, Bristol City. Um, and at the time, Grimsby, Stoke, we're down near the bottom. Tramway were down near the bottom in, in the championship. And Bristol City, I think, was sat about third or fourth with games in hand. And I spotted Danny Wilson. And then as soon as I spotted Danny, I thought, yeah, it's it. He told me about like a young squad, ambitious, big club, good fan base. Um, so it just seemed like the right fit, really. And so jumped out the chance, really, to, to go down to, to Bristol City straight away. And obviously never get that decision. It was probably the best four years of my life, if I'm honest, even though I did have a lot of injuries. Mm. The camaraderie, the dressing room, the fans, the people of Bristol. Yeah. I do love our memories, you know. Oh, it's great to hear. Um, your your move, Wikipedia says that it was initially a loan, but within a few days it became permanent for 100k. Yeah, the, the deal was already done, Patch. Um but because we were playing Millwall the next day, a loan goes through a lot quicker than a permanent deal. So it was to try and get me in, in the team for the following night. As it happened, it took me that long to get down to Bristol from the northeast. I didn't get the deal actually signed off till I think it was about 11.30 at night. So instead of starting the next day, I went on the bench. So well, thankfully, obviously, the result turned out well for us all. Well, you actually scored a penalty on your debut and a 2-1 win at home to Millwall. Is it true that no one else actually wanted to take the penalty and you stepped forward? Well, I think that lunatic there had already been sent off. Beads <laughs> had been sent off. I think Mickey Bell might have gone off with an injury, possibly. So obviously when I think it was uh, Sean Dyche handled the ball, I was kind of looking around. There was a big fracas. The fans were going crazy at the time because Millwall and Bristol City obviously have got that rivalry. 
So I was looking, thinking, well, nobody else seems to be grabbing this ball. I didn't really know any of the lads. I'd literally met them an hour before kickoff. So when no one was grabbing the ball, I thought, like, I may as well just grab it and see if I can put it away, you know. And uh, thankfully, I did. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And then three days later, um, after being on the pitch for only three minutes as a sub, another goal away at Reading. So a great start for Lee Matthews at Bristol City. Yeah, it, it was. It was. It couldn't have gone any better, to be honest. Obviously, again, Peaks was heavily involved in that. I remember the goal clearly. You know, did a little, a little bit of interplay in the box, and then he's back heeled it into my path. I just touched it and managed to slot it home. You know, um, and again, there was unbelievable following that night from Bristol City fans. They sold the capacity out behind the goal, and straight away, I just had an unbelievable feeling for like the club, the lads, the fans. And it, I did, like you say, I really, really enjoyed my time at Bristol City. I couldn't speak highly enough of everything about it and everyone about it, you know. Absolutely brilliant. I'm going to come back to Mr. Peacock now. Um, I've picked out a memory for you. Um, I'm just going to play you this video. Um, and this is what I've picked out for you as, as a highlight for Lee Peacock. Hang on, here we come. So this is the Football League Trophy 2003. Yeah, yeah. Talk us through this. Um, up until this bit here, I can't remember. that's what I was trying to say earlier I I wasn't like the rest of the lads I never got excited about the games I was too nervous all the time I I could never so I remember we'll get onto it later but me and Matthews we lived together for a fair bit and he was always buzzing for games really enjoyed it and everything loved the the competitiveness and everything I was scared all the time I really couldn't enjoy it. Once you're out there, it settles down and you run about, you're doing your thing. But I was always terrified if you have a bad touch, you're going to get booed and everything. It was always playing in my head. So when I played at Millennium Stadium a few times, and obviously this one is brilliant because you score, but that bit right there, me running away, is literally my only memory of the day. Wow. I just can't, I tend to, I just blank so much out. So you could show me a load. I've never went back and looked at any of my goals, really. Um, I've never kind of went back just because I don't have amazing memories of certain like certain parts of football, you know. But that that there was an amazing day. Obviously, we, we spoke about it earlier. We, we were massively under punching. We weren't doing we were the equivalent, I kind of used this at the time the equivalent of kind of what Arsenal were. We played some good football, but and we beat the better teams, but against the the kind of bottom feeders in the league. We throw so many points away. Mm. Teams would not beat us up, but we were a little bit of soft touch. But we could outplay the better teams. But they had a bit more of a backbone than us. That seems to be a little bit of a recurring theme throughout the years with, with City. Um, you know, as a, as a fan of, of thirty odd years, we always seem to pick up our performances against the against the bigger teams. Then you get an easy three points against the Boston team, and and you know you don't get it. Um, it's something psychological yeah. in there, uh, but yeah, it's something that's uh, that I think has has been with us for quite some time. To be fair, but that trophy, that football league trophy tournament, um, you had two goals versus Wickham. I'll, t- I'll tell you in case you don't remember, you had two goals versus Wickham in the quarterfinals. But that's not. Uh, that, but I'll just say that's that's all the way through my career. That's that's not at, at City. I had my. F- at Mansfield, I enjoyed, but my favourite time of playing football and scoring yeah. goals was at was at City. Clearly, but over sixty goals, over sixty goals, one hundred and fifty appearances. Um, but yeah, so two goals versus Wickham in the quarterfinals and a cracking lob from Scotty. The semi-finals first leg against Cambridge. There was a collector's <laughs> item. <laughs> Yeah, still coming down that penalty, by the way. I know where we're going with this. <laughs> uh, no, uh, there was a, a, a collector's item goal from Joe Burnell from 25 yards. Can you believe that? Definitely not. We need video evidence of that. Well, yeah, there is. There is. It took a, it took a deflection, mind you, but it was it was going in. Um, he was going to two foot someone, wasn't he? And the lad moved <laughs> the deflection, the it was, in, He took obviously. the kick off and got deflected back into midfield, left wing, and then somebody else scored. <laughs> Absolutely. But um, in that game, actually, Mark Robbins came on for Bristol City and you combined with him to set up Scotty for a goal. And then Mark Robbins got a goal himself. Can you remember Mark Robbins playing for City? He didn't oh play God. many games. He was on fire, wasn't I he? He was there for, a, there for a month and scored literally every game. I think he scored seven in the five games. It was unbelievable. Yeah. He got a goal for every yard he actually moved. He was born <laughs> idle. <laughs> Me and Matthew's doing all the running, hitting channels and that, and he's getting all the glory. He becomes a legend 
And we had the, we had the brothers never scoring. Did you get Mike Robbins out on a night out in Bristol? I don't I don't remember it myself, but um absolutely refused. He would really he, he was getting involved. He he just he does he would rather travel. I think was he living in Rotherham or something at the time. He'd rather travel three hours a day yeah. to escape coming out with us than stay in the hotel and have an excuse. <laughs> Oh God! He was a, he was a top man, but he was, he was obviously like, at the other end of his career. He was really professional on his peaks. He'd come there to do the business. Yeah. He weren't messing around. Yeah, brilliant. He was a great guy, really good guy. Brilliant. So, yeah, so yeah, good fella. Yeah. So uh, in the second leg, there was a, a another another collector's item: a twenty-yard strike from Lewis Carey in that game. Yeah, that was it's that a hell of a strike. Believe, to be fair. Louis was an unbelievable finisher, to be honest. People yeah, tell you he was in training he was the score goals. Honestly, really. Well, him, him, and Scotty used to. Do, yeah, Scotty said in the podcast with them that that him and Lewis would practice with a um, with a close peg in in the net and try and hit it yeah. every time at the end. That was Brian Jones who installed yeah. that. The, yeah, he's a good guy. He was a psych, sports psychologist. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So no, the, yeah. again, going on that, there's actually a, a I scored and I got a bit of stick for this. And Matthews would back me up, it wasn't. And it looked like we scored. So there was a lot of things mentioned about our goal bonus, really, because I was doing that. And it was nothing to do with that. It was to do with the pegs, because I'd scored and we'd been using them. So it was to get the pegs. So I was on the pitch, knew what it was about. But one or two of the fans were like, fucking crazy. We're talking about money on the pitch. But it was not to do with that at all. Brilliant. That's that question answered. No, I haven't yeah. got that question any Jacob. Um, uh, so yeah, in the final, it was a yeah the parried shot that which which you just looked at from from Liam Rossinia, um, who's now in obviously assistant manager at Derby. But uh, he he was someone who who had a career at Bristol City. Didn't last very long, but got that important goal in that final alongside you. Um, there's the kiss with Danny Coles, Lee Peacock. <laughs> Um, that uh, is actually in, you won't know this, there's a montage that they play at the start of every game at Ashton Gate still, and that is it. That is in there. No way, really? Yeah, absolutely. You have caught one of many. Yeah. He used to get it all the time as well. Pigs used to love to kiss the boys, I tell you. If he didn't have a kiss, <laughs> he would be fresh about, I tell you. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 not in that way, though. There was, like... <laughs> Don't no, tell lies. Don't tell there lies. There's no blood. There's no blood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we did like to get nipple to nipple. Yeah. <laughs> just affectionate guy, and your peaks. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, I, it always makes me laugh every time I every time I see that. And a, a two 0 win in a final at the Millennium Stadium, um, fifty thousand in attendance for that one. This I'll run you through the team, and if you can think about any any comments or stories. So uh, Steve Phillips, Tony Butler, Danny Coles, Mickey Bell, Scotty Murray, Joe Burnell, Tommy Doc, Brian Tinian, Christian Roberts, yourself, Lee Peacock. Um, and Liam and Rosinio and Matty Hill coming on from the bench. I guess you were injured, were you, at that point? Me? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, I, it's not hard to guess where I was, was it? Uh, I was sat, sat up in the stand. Uh, yeah, to be honest, it was a really difficult day. It was a really bittersweet thing for me. Obviously, I'm absolutely delighted for the boys, wanted them to win. But to sit, you know, it wasn't just the final, it was the playoff final. I also had to sit, I missed that season on the back. It was, it was horrible to watch, you know. Like Lee said, I always thrived on playing. I liked the crowds. The bigger the crowd, the better I liked it. Um, I didn't suffer with the nerves, what Lee did and some of the lads did. But unfortunately, I just couldn't play a part, you know. But obviously for the lads, I was absolutely delighted, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, that that would have been a good night back in Bristol. Or did you go out in Cardiff? What did you do that night? Can you remember? Yeah, straight, straight back to Bristol. We probably can't remember the individual night as such, but I would have put absolute money on to be all around Bristol and then back at Peacocks with him on the decks till probably seven in the morning. Yeah. Which was, which was a, a standard night out, never mind. The yeah. top, you know? Actually, I've just remembered it was Chicago Rock yeah. that night on the on the waterfront. Yeah, we yeah, I can remember because Liam Rossini was there and he was being like lifted up onto the bar or something. 
Um, but uh, yeah, but that could have been any Saturday, really. Any, yeah. that could have been any, it could have been any Tuesday back then. Sun, it could have been any Sunday as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sunday nights actually were actually, mad. I knew what I was like, and I felt like I needed. I tried to pack in drinking three times while we were, well, and, and all those three times that month, I never scored, so I thought, scrap that, I ain't doing that anymore. But I knew what the chairman had bought, and obviously, uh, Steve, I went and done uh, City versus Sheffield United, I'd done like a kind of. I was a walk and talk in the in the sponsors bar, and then I said uh, I asked the guy who presented goes, "Oh, where where would the chairman be?" And I actually went up and apologised to the chairman for my behaviour over the four years there. Right. Uh, so I went up and I goes, "Listen, I'm really sorry because if you put that kind of money, in, I'm not saying if I hadn't have done the things I'd done, I would have been any better, but you know what I mean. If you're putting that kind of investment into a player and then getting that back, I had four operations, three operations as well in that time." And I just thought I owed him a little bit of an apology, not for what I'd done on the pitch, because I, I would never, I always worked as hard as, I, hard as I could, but off the pitch antiques weren't exactly great. But that was a different time. And it seemed like I was the only one, well, I was the main one getting caught all the time. Even when I wasn't there, I wasn't out, I was out somehow. So, but it was, the, the rest of the team were out all the time as well, but it's just, I kind of got some crap for it basically. Well, you thought you were one of the quickest. You could, you should have been able to get away quicker from everyone. <laughs> did, did you apologise that you took the full team out as well, Leo, just for yourself? Yeah, just myself, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. But yeah, we mentioned the team there. Um, and, and what what a group, obviously, outside of that as well, there's a number of other players that, um, that yeah, let's, fo- let's focus on the fact that you were all a collective um, and, and that that must have been something that was major to the success of the team and winning that trophy in particular. The togetherness of the squad um, was unbelievable. It, it really was, whether we were playing on a Saturday or out on a Saturday night or even go to the cinema or a bakery, there'd always be a minimum of 10, 12 of us, like Pete will tell you. Um, any birthdays, any do's, anything like that. The boys were always together. If anyone got injured or had something bad going on, they'd be there for each other. It was almost, if it's possible, too good of a team spirit because we were all young. It was obviously full of lads who had a lot of personality. So there was always something going on. And the minute one of us was doing something, it was easy to rope another 10 in. So I know Lee said earlier, we possibly were a bit soft as a team. I disagree with that. I feel... We'd always get a great win on a Saturday in, against one of the top eight, get double excited because we think, oh, we've got a poor team on Tuesday to tap in. And we'd go out on the drink Saturday and Sunday and not really prepare properly. And then the team, the lower teams come and think, it's Bristol City, we need to get after these. And we we hadn't prepared properly. And I don't think it was because we were particularly bad. I do think a lot of footballers in that era were doing a similar thing. But I think with us, like, it was even more so because it was such a togetherness, really. Um, but some of the talent in the squad was was unbelievable. And you've seen some of the lads obviously went on to higher divisions after the city and probably should have left a little bit sooner, really, but didn't want to leave because of the team spirit we had and everyone wanting to go play in the championship with Bristol City, you know. Can I back up Matthews on that? I would say he's got a really good point. We were so well knitted together, but that become an issue because let's have a look at the the, the lower games. Sometimes you have a look at modern football and before that and after that when teams are played in, when certain things didn't happen, players would dig each other out and they're happy to cross the line. We didn't. You, you'll, I, I would challenge you to find any video of any of us arguing on the pitch. We didn't. We over-supported. And sometimes you need that. You do need that in football to be able to go get your arse in gear and dig it. We just didn't do it. I mean, that might have been a good thing, but where we ended up in the, the kind of lack of success we had with the standard of players we had, you think maybe that could have been the, the X factor we needed? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's something that happened. Um, I remember with Lewis Carey and Bradley Orr had to come in together on the pitch and that, ter- that turned the season around. So sometimes there is that mm. catalyst that uh, that will spark things into life a bit more. So yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Um, so Lee, I want to come on to a memory I picked out for you now. Um, so I'm going to again share the screen and you can talk us through this. And this this is something that means a lot to Bristol City fans. So uh, 
Here, here we go. Bristol City comfortable 3-0 winners over rivals Rovers in front of nearly 17,500 fans. A record gate for this competition outside the final. And no doubt about the man of the match. What a night for Bristol City and what a night for you personally. Yeah, it was unbelievable really. We knew it was going to be a tough game, especially after Rovers beating Derby. But the gaffer said just go out work harder than and hopefully we'll beat him. We did just that. Recalled in place of the suspended Tony Thorpe, Matthews seized his chance with two wonder first-half goals. City making second division class tell as Rovers simply couldn't find the form which saw them beat Premiership Derby in the FA Cup. A Mickey Bell special booked City's place in the area final against Cambridge and there could be no argument, the best team won. So the best team won. It was 3-0 Bristol City versus Bristol Rovers in the Football League trophy and a man of the match appearance for Lee Matthews. Lee, your memories of that game? To be honest, it was unbelievable. Um, probably my most enjoyable and most memorable game of my full career, it turned out. I can remember everything about it build up in the city during the week. Um, people stopped and tell me, obviously, because I knew I was from Middlesbrough, I wasn't a Bristolian like a lot of our lads were. And you just knew how much it meant. And then even travelling in the game that day, you could, you could feel the intensity. And then when we were coming out, the fireworks, obviously, I think the Wurzels were playing on the pitch, drinking up my cider. And <laughs> you could barely hear them because the City fans over the top of them. And I remember thinking, we, we, we have to win this game. And we had a few injuries as well. So there was a couple of lads in the team who hadn't been in at the time, like me and Kevin Mank were a couple of the boys. I think George had been out of the team. Um, so you knew... You knew the pressure was on and you, you really didn't want to let the city down, let the fans down. Um, and I can remember the first 20 minutes of the game, Rovers were on top. We, we, I felt as if we, we, we could be in trouble here, you know. Um, and then that the, on the first goal, I picked up and started kind of, I was actually looking to pass. And then their defences kept backing away and backing away. I took a touch, I looked again, looked again. And I kept back and I thought, I'm just going to hit this. <laughs> he wasn't going to pass he's never going to pass it was all to crap and no one you think about passing oh my god oh, just, they don't know you you can get away with that because they don't know you I know you two strikers yeah. you know I'm sure neither of you would have passed to each other <laughs> you know what the weird thing is I, I will say the weird thing is he was a, my favourite striker to play up front with and I would look for a pass for him it was weird. I just we clicked straight away. So I would look for a pass. I can't speak for him, but I didn't mind. You have a weird thing as a striker. You don't want the other strikers to score, but you want to win. But with Matthews, I always wanted to win and him to score. I've got to be honest with that. Yeah, to to degree. <laughs> but I what I will say, considering I didn't play nowhere near as many games as Peaks for the city led like people who really know the stats out. Look for how many assists I give him compared to him, me, give me. And then we'll see who looks for passes on. Yeah, but I can't assist when you're on the medical bed. I'm meant to find you over there. <laughs> you could. You could give me a little massage. The you? Van, in, in the medical office. Christ. Brilliant. You give me a little massage. <laughs> yeah, we'll come on to the we'll come on to the massages later. Um so so in that game you've got uh, your first with your right foot and the second with your left foot from 20 both from 20, 20 yards out. So which was your preferred foot? Did you did you have one or are you were you uh yeah, ambidextrous? No, I, was, I was right I was right footed, but I did grow up playing on the left all the time mm. until I moved me into the center. I only went to center forward once I was about 14. I used to be a left winger. My older brother's a left winger, and obviously you always want to imitate your older brother, you know. Um as I got older, obviously, it worked in my favour because I was two-footed. Um, even on my stats, it would put me down as a left-footer, even though I wasn't. So, yeah, it, it definitely went in my favour. Obviously, on the second goal, I think it was Joe Bonello who went into a great tackle and the ball broke to me, and that's how I've gone and ended up scoring the second. But it was just, I don't think it showed on that clip, just a second before you see Joe go into a great tackle, you know? Yeah, no, I'll have to find that now, now you've mentioned that. Um, yeah. But um, so that game, obviously, uh, a Bristol derby um, is something that, that, as a fan, I miss tremendously. Um, the fact that now, obviously, we're 
you know, a, a league apart, and we have been for quite some time. And it, don't want to go on about that. Twenty years has been since uh, since we've been uh, above them, but we won't go into that now. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> so yeah, another moment in City folklore was the game at Cardiff in December two thousand and one. Two goals from Scotty and uh, one from yourself, all in the space of a few minutes. Memories of that night. Yeah, again, unbelievable game. Um, I wasn't penciled in to start. Lee was meant to start and he'd had a problem with his hamstring. Um, and on the day of the game, he failed a, a fitness test. So I'd only get just come back from injury. So Danny pulled me in the car park and said, do you, do you think you're okay to start? You know, we know you've been, I think I'd been out maybe a month from that point. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll be all right. I'll give it, give it what I can. And then when I'm knackered, you just bring me off, you know? And uh, again, it was like a really hostile game. I think we went 1-0 down, I think Graham Kavanagh scored at the far post, if I remember rightly. And again, the fans, the hostility from the Cardiff fans was was unbelievable. And then Scotty Murray being, you know, does what he does best. He, he absolutely terrorised Dean Gordon that night, scored two, turned him inside out, more or less carbon copy goals. Um, and then the third one, I think it was Tony Thorpe, set me up and dropped nice in the box and managed to put it away. And obviously... Before the game, we'd been told that if you did the Ayatollah, you really irritate the Cardiff fans. That's their thing. So Scotty's running down doing the Ayatollah, and then obviously the the, the company's there, which has obviously become like legendary now, if you like. Yeah. Um, so it was an unbelievable game. But what made it even funnier off the back of that game, the following season we've gone there live on Sky, and as we're walking out on the pitch. There was a banner, the biggest banner I've ever seen in football, the length of the other side. Scott Murray is a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> Feedback's a gift. Yeah. Oh. He, he said about so, a night out, a night out at the darts that uh, he almost got attacked. Yeah, well, yeah, that really, that I think it was such a serious game, and we all hiked in the dressing room, and you walk out, you see that, and our team were just laughing. You know, it was it was hilarious. Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Um, so that's two memories that I've picked out for each of you. Um, but let's talk a little bit about about the your some of your favorite players. I mean, Lee Peacock, you've said there that, that Matthews is one of your one of your favorite players to play with. Any other uh, yeah. players you want to pick out that uh, that meant a lot to you at Bristol City? Um the the obvious I'm I'm not, not going to choose one side or the other because you had Belly and Tins on one side and you had Scotty and Louie on the other. They both operated completely different. Tommy Dock central with Joe Burnell's like ridiculously horrible tackles constantly going on. Uh, Cozy was the back, Matty, uh, Matty Hill at the back, Stevie Phillips. And got, they, were, they were all good in their own way. But I always remember as a striker getting excited when I'd see, going into the final third, Louie passing to Scotty because you knew the combos were coming. And you knew the ball would end up in the box every single time. Um, so it was slightly different on the left-hand side where they were, they were, they were amazing. I mean, you've got Belly and Tins. You know what I mean? I know Tins would be central as well. Or you had Belly and Aaron Brown and they were a different class. But on the right-hand side with Scott and Louis, even Kevin Manqua when he was involved as well. I think maybe because I preferred attacking, kind of going that way. You know what I mean? On attacking on my left shoulder, I always got excited about that. But there's too many to mention. You know, there, there was such depth in the squad and you were bringing in decent people on loan. You were bringing in decent players. But the, the, the kind of core always remained the same. I there wasn't much movement in that squad from the start of the 11, year on year, the four years I was there, there wasn't much movement. Um, but yeah, there's, you can't really pick one person out. No, uh, absolutely. To be... Um, it was more of a collective, as you say. There was no standout yeah. player um, that, yeah. uh, that that you would pick. So that's absolutely spot on. You can't, you can't, you can't tell me you can't tell me like Tins is better than Scotty, or Scotty's better than Louis, or Louis's better than Tommy Doc. You know what I mean? And if you, the thing is, <laughs> I don't okay with the goal. Consider three operations. I always miss roughly between rough five six weeks in every season. I miss through injury. Um, and I still managed to get enough goals. And Thorpe scored goals in the first couple of seasons. Matthew scored goals. And everybody would chip in and everything. And at any other club, that would have been, you would have been held in really high regard. But 
you were still behind at least five players on the pitch because of Scotty and Louis and Tins and Tommy Dock were proper legends at the club. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? That was earned. That was earned because they were all incredibly loyal. Uh, they loved the fans. They loved the club. And we all did. We all, I mean, I absolutely loved my time there. Absolutely loved it. And I was gutted. Um, I tried to get back uh, after Sheffield Wednesday. I tried to get back, but... I won't go on to the reasons why, basically, history screwed me over. But yeah, it was. there's nobody in particular. The entire squad was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fantastic. Lee, do you want to add anything to that? No, I, I totally agree. Um, obviously, I'd come from Leeds where there was world-class players in the full squad. And when I dropped to Bristol City, I fully expected to be a huge difference. Um, and obviously, there was a difference. It'd be silly to say not, but... I was shocked how good a lot of the players were. Um, like Doc said, mostly teams, they've got three or four good players, but it was probably 14, 15 really, really good players at that club. And I think what made even more special, I think, at that time, which is, is very rare nowadays, probably any given week, seven Bristolians in the starting eleven who were genuine Bristol City fans, all the mates were Bristol City fans, all the family were Bristol City fans, so for like me, Peacock, Belly and Tins, who were like all from further up northeast since Tin um, Peak, Scotland. But I think they accepted us and their friends and family accepted us. But you were under no illusion every time you're in people's company, you're playing for Bristol City, it's a monster club and there's expectations. We expect you to, to give you give everything for us, you know. And, and I think the lads did. The one thing with that squad, we had our... Um, probably lack of professionalism if you like at times with you know probably going out too much but there was nobody who didn't care you wouldn't see anyone strolling around you wouldn't see any like peaks you see no one strops you know if someone's coming off you didn't see no one take the shirt off or whinging at the manager or whinging at the, the lads yeah. like the lads wouldn't have accepted it it would just couldn't have happened wouldn't have happened um I can remember at time when Danny had mentioned certain players we think about well, time this player what do you think you'd always ask the squad and if it was someone who was a questionable attitude, the lads would say, nah, Gaffer, don't bring him in here. We don't, we don't want no dickheads. You know what I mean? And thankfully, yeah, there was no big time as well, sir. Yeah, nobody was big time. Not even, I, I think once they got the feeling for the dressing room, they knew without saying it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been entertained in any way. I, I will say, no, once, no way. once Thorpey went, there was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was only, it was only uh, he was a, a different breed. Good guy. Funny, funny guy. Tony did it in a fun way there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He he was, Tony was funny, like really funny. Um, You've got to know how to take him. But obviously, he had, he was was unbelievable finisher, one he peaks, like natural finisher. Ridiculous. And uh, again, no, no, no. They were born idle. All of these good (laughs) finishes are born idle. They just let us do the dog, let all the donkey work, mate. Don't give them that credit. I called him a I called him a I called him a fox in the box. He didn't like that. <laughs> Did you see him outside the box? Any point ever? Well, yeah, I mean I will have to look back through the I told him I'll have to look back through the footage. But his stat his stats would be incredible. His his stats, his finishing was so so good, so composed, and he could literally yeah, finish from from anywhere. But yeah. But why would you run about when you could get us to do it? He's actually a smart one. <laughs> Brilliant! Yeah, absolutely, spot on. Um, let's let's come on to to some of these nights out that we that we've referenced a number of times on the podcast so far. Only getting awkward now. Um, so I can I've I've been given a story from a close friend uh, who claims that one night Lee Matthews went out dressed as a football manager and started shouting "Hey ref!" a lot. Can you recap on that one, Mister Matthews? That was just his club. <laughs> this is normal for get up. Yeah, I can actually. Um, we'd had a barbecue up Joe Bennell's house and we were all slaughtering each other's gear like we always did. Peaks was a really outlandish dresser, um, as we mentioned earlier. So we all bantering. And for some reason, I don't know why, someone had found Joe Bennell's dad's Tottenham Hotspur manager's jacket from about 20 years previous. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> well, as it is, the lads, I bet no one will dare wear that. So, obviously, 
You were it. It was me end up putting it on and kept it on in the all around the pubs, all in the nightclubs. I it was hilarious to be fair. It really was. Um, you can see people looking then must have think, what the hell are these lads doing? Do you know what I mean? Well, that's actually not a bad outfit compared to what uh, I remember Lee Peacock wearing, which is uh, a dressing gown out on a night out. Where did that start? Joe Bunnell. It was his dressing room that we ended up. I, it just, it was, I just ended up grabbing it one time we were going around the pubs. I ended up coming to Magalove with me and I'd be wearing it on the beach during no, the day. You were in Mexico with that on. <laughs> we were in Mexico, Mexico as well. that on. Mexico, <laughs> a dressing gown, shades, and a pair of Dr. Martens and nothing else. Brilliant. What an enjo- <laughs> what enduring image that is. Yeah. You mentioned yeah. you mentioned uh, you mentioned Magaluf then, uh, Ed Peacock. Uh, you spent most summers out there, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of mates at work, and you talk about stories that can. Uh, I got absolutely murdered out there. So the back end of I want to say the two thousand two three season. Long story short, I, I was having injections in my shoulder. I had a problem with the tendon. It wouldn't go, wouldn't go away. So I had the injections that saw me through to the end. Well, we were coming back into pre-season. I started feeling that again. So in pre-season, I broke down and I found out I'm going to be out for two months or three months. I had to have an up. What had happened was the, the tendon had taken bone. It, it still attached. It hadn't ripped the tendon, but it was taking bone away. So I had to have a dissolvable screw put in. Anyway, it comes out that um, some guy on the internet, and this is Danny Wilson, has jumped in because there's a big rumour going around. He saw me on a bar stool fall off and hurt my shoulder out there. And I got fined two weeks' wages for this. For somebody making some random thing up. They saw that they saw me icing my shoulder out there every single day while I was steaming. Now, I was steaming. I was out there every day. But I didn't do I'd done my shoulder the season before. And it was Brian Jones that goes, well, Everybody's thinking this. Should I argue? Because I don't want to pay two weeks, two weeks' wages for something that's not happening. Because I would just go with it and let let it slide. I was like, yeah, but it's an expensive let it slide, isn't it? Because <laughs> my reputation's in tatters because all I did drinking and that. So I get chucked under the bus just because some bo- somebody was bored on the internet. Some moron decides to make up a story. And there's loads of them online. There's, there was loads of things that just never happened at all. They were about me. Most did. Most did happen, Peaks, <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah, but there's loads that didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Peaks like, I didn't fall off a stool. It was actually a table, so he's lying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all lies. All lies. <laughs> if he's thrown a stool, <laughs> yeah. I've done it. Oh, Jesus. Um, so, Matthews, any, any other memories that you can get on Lee Peacock? And then we'll ask the, the question the other way around. Loads. And, it, you know, touching on Magaluf. There's one thing what all the lads will confirm. The last game of the season, this lunatic would bring his suitcase and his passport. The minute the game was over, you get a taxi at the airport and just fly to Magaluf. The day it was pre-season starting, he'd ring me, pick me up from the airport, pick him up, we'd go to pre-season training. Now, everyone else, you've dread pre-season training, especially back then, they used to run ridiculous miles you do what you could over the summer to try and you know make sure you're in a decent condition to come back. Peaks had come back after six weeks of just drinking and he'd always be in the top three in the running. And that's where <laughs> one thing with him, he used to drink more than any man I could ever imagine. We'd go out on a Saturday night and drink heavily, come in, I'd go to bed. He'd start on a fresh crate and, and just sit there all night. And then we'd go to training and I'd think, how the hell does this fella do well, is that? Is that genetics? Like, is that genetics, Peacock? <laughs> It must be, it must be, and he was still, he was still fit, and obviously naturally a strong lad. And like he said, his record was excellent. His ability was, was really, really good. But if he could have just curbed it slightly, I do believe he could have had, he had a career. But I think he could have had a, an outstanding career if, if he could have just curbed his antics that mm-hmm. little bit, you know. You had a great time there, Lee. Fair comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, can I be honest? That's, that's why. That's why I love coaching now because working with the kids and the players. The, the, Mum and dad split up. Dad was an alcoholic. Mum's bipolar. Um, I've had money. I've lost money. Everything that's ever happened to football has happened to me, and I still managed to have a career of sorts. So I know the pitfalls. 
I know this. I, I, you can see them kind of organically growing within a player, the issues from a council estate uh, and everything in between. So you have a, a reference point for every single player to be able to establish a relationship and help them and feel like they, you can support them because you have that experience on and off the pitch. And that's why I love coaching. It's my, the thing I love most in the world. I watch games. I didn't watch, Matthew, to tell you, I didn't watch a single game while playing football. In nearly 20 years, I would never, whether it was the World Cup final or anything, I had no interest. But, but now I obsess yeah. over it, you know, going into the coaching and everything. But back then, even, I mean, yeah, I just couldn't get into it. I thought I mean, football was a job. A real job, but it's helped me extend my career. I don't know whether if I didn't make all the mistakes, and there were mistakes, there were massive mistakes. I cropped it up massively, and I massively apologise to people who I might have upset along the way. But it was never intended. Um, but that's what's helped me become a coach now, and that's what I do with passion now. You know. Yeah, and you would say about upsetting people along the way, uh, Peacock. But I must say, every time I I met you on a night out or something. You you were always a total gentleman, always, you know, giving time to fans that come up to you and being nice as pie. Um, so I never saw any of that. So uh, nah. I just want to say that. Oh, cheers, mate. Yeah, but that's the thing. The fans have always come first. And I've, Matthews has been there when there's certain players and they'll basically tell supporters to F off. I'm, it's my downtime away from it. And I've, oh, I couldn't do that because... I remember being a kid, I remember seeing players and them being my idols. And whether it's a five-minute conversation or an hour conversation, you give them the time of day. And you maybe try and sell yourself or you try and sell the team or shed some light on some situations that they maybe don't know about, you know. And for me, the every fan at City, my tie that was amazing, was different class on and off the pitch. And I never ever got into any arguments or anything like that. But what I was saying about upsetting is like I said with the chairman, is there's an expectation. And some of them, let's just cut through the crap. The drinking was excessive and you didn't, for me, City and the chairman didn't get the product they necessarily thought they were getting because uh, you expect a level of professionalism. And it was, and I worked hard and I was always at training and always at games whenever I was fit. But what could have happened after? I mean, particularly if you've lost a game, most people would go back and reflect on it, maybe whatever it be. I'd be out straight away. But that was my way of dealing with it, you know. It totally changed. Matthews will tell you because he was raging at the time. Once I got a missus, that completely changed for a long time. And he was raging about it because he, yeah, he lost his drinking partner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm still not happy to this day about that, actually. Um, oh, mate, she's gone. <laughs> rekindle our love again. <laughs> well, this is what this is all about. Robin's reunited, yeah? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Matthews, um, you I was chatting to again a, a mutual friend, and uh, he said that you were a bit of a dealer in a visu gear back in the day. Is this true? <laughs> oh, That's a nervous yeah. laugh. Oh, no, Taxman will be after. Yeah, again. Well, at the time, that was like the the main label, wasn't it? The, the Avisu. It was obviously an absolute fortune. So, but this is yeah. the thing. Avisu, Avisu is one of about a hundred little schemes that you had going. Oh, he's a on schemer. The <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, you, you basically kitted out the whole team in Avisu gear from, from what I can gather. Yeah, basically. Yeah. It was, uh, it was easy money when it peaks. <laughs> <laughs> No, the, the problem is I'd already kitted myself out down at John Anthony, blown an absolute fortune. Then he'd rock up two weeks later with them a tenth of the price. So I've got the same gear on as everybody else, but I'm like a granddad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting all, mugged all, off. All the YTs in the same gear. He was absolutely raging the big man. Brilliant. Um, so let's just <laughs> let's um let's let's park park the uh, storytelling there for a for a moment before we get everyone into trouble. Um, so let's talk about your departure from, from Ashton Gate. First of all, um, Peacock, you went off to Sheffield Wednesday and you actually won the League One playoffs mm -hmm. uh, in that season as well. Uh, but what happened around your departure from, yeah. from Bristol City? Tins, honestly, and I, I've always got on with Tins, but Tins had known me for four years. Tins knew that, not that I had a voice, because nobody had a voice in the dressing room. But basically, he wanted a fresh start. Of, and I knew what he was doing, and I understood and I respect it. You know what I mean? He wants fresh players that he felt he could bring on. He, he didn't not like it. It wasn't like that. But he, he needed something different in there. He needed to be respected and heard straight away. 
that was my feeling around it. And I just wished them all the best for the season and kind of left. At that point, there wasn't anything guaranteed. I just knew that I wasn't re-signing, which I was gutted about. I was really gutted because, again, no disrespect, I really wanted Danny Wilson. I thought Danny Wilson could, the following season, so we went, what was it? Not in the playoffs, not in the playoffs, playoff semis, playoff final. And I got injured in the final, missed the final, which I was gutted about. And you just felt we're so close with that squad, we're so close. So I went to Sheffield Wednesday, but I done my ankle in the, play, uh, the playoff semis, didn't I? So when I signed for Wednesday, my ankle was cabbaged. It was completely wrecked. It was like, they, they, it, it done me. I couldn't strike a ball. After that, I could never strike a ball again. Um, but yeah, it was went up there and I was injured for the first few months and we got promoted, but it was very similar to what we had uh, at City. We had a good, a really good dressing room. Uh, everybody socially would, would do things together. There was no clicks. And that, that's something that Matthew would tell you, there wasn't any clicks at all. But there was, it was just one big click. Mm. Normally you have like all the lads who travel, the old lads, the young lads, and everything in between. There wasn't anything like that. You could anybody would go out with anybody to do anything, a meal, uh, go for a drink or cinema, whatever it was. So it was a very similar feeling there. I wouldn't say at Wednesday we were as good. We weren't, but they could, we could go one nil up and see it out. We could go one nil up in 30 seconds and see it out and mm. grind and grind and grind. I don't believe we had that at City. I felt we we always felt we could outplay teams and we didn't have the grind. Um, but yeah, I was gutted. And when I left Wednesday, um, I was looking at clubs and I spoke to, it was Gary Johnson at the time. He goes, we're interested in taking you back. I was like, yes, come on. Want to get back there? He goes, I'll call you back in a half hour. He'd done his, um, his research, spot the chairman and goes, nah, not after the antics that had happened in the previous four years. But I was a different person by then. You know what I mean? I had a kid and everything. And you, you, you that's where your history and your antics catch up. Yeah, that's why... People will think of me the same now as I was back then as a coach. And Matthews, I tell you, nobody would be able to believe that I would stay in football and become a coach, but I am. You know, because you change, you adapt, and you move on. So yeah, I was, I was genuinely, genuinely gutted, but I understood yeah. the reason for the, the reshaping and, and be, the need for it. Yeah, and to be leaving all of your friends, obviously, say you made some some lifelong friends. At, yeah. at Bristol City. Um, well, you just talk about the coaching now. Let's just cover off your current situation, your current your current role um, yeah. in the coming season. Okay, so the beginning of the season, obviously we had seven players. The club was getting taken over. Um, then it fell through. We didn't have a, the manager was in for a week. He walked out with the assistant. We didn't have a chairman. We weren't getting paid. So myself and Steve Mildenhall, who's a goalkeeper coach, took over. First team, we put the 18s in and we were just, we took over. We weren't getting paid. Just, uh, doing what we had to do for the club, you know what I mean? And it's the club have looked after me, so I felt it was a no-brainer. People saying, oh, you go above and beyond your thing, you just do your job, that's that's it. And um, now my I was head of coaching and I swapped roles to go with the 18s because I missed coaching players. I was working with coaches previously and I really, really missed that over the last few years. So I'm back into coaching, working with the 18s and try to get players through at the first team. The new chairman's come in. He wants it aligned in the right way. He's now saying we want the youth team players in and around the first team. So where we're training is different. We've got players who are possibly going to make their debut early on this season because of the lack of pros that we have. So, yeah, it's it's it's, it's all good. It's all good. And I, I know I've had kind of stick in the past about, um, well, like uh, City and Swindon being kind of rivals and I've never seen that never ever seen it once and what I think is actually a keen thing that communal hate for Rovers which whenever we play them the youth team I don't care so I don't really care about Oxford to be honest but I get the lads that go you, you, you do not lose this game if you have to kick through them <laughs> Rovers are getting it today so that was um, yeah it was never kind of rival between the two. it was more communal hate brotherly hate for them absolutely well speak talking of Rovers uh, Lee Matthews, you went. Uh, you got a bit lost along your way and found yourself at Bristol Rovers. <laughs> I would never do that. Never ever do that. <laughs> yeah. And it, did, was there any any apprehension, or was it just a case of um, you know it's a job and you you had to take it? Well, what did that come? No. Um, the, the season before, I'd done me discs in my back and it put me out for the full season. So they, they pretty much told me then that my career was done. I was, I think I was 22, um, possibly 23, seen two or three different specialists. And, <laughs> and uh, 
He's still got the ADHD and he packed. He's just been quiet for one minute. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, and so that was, they'd be, they told me then my career was finished, basically. Um, and then thankfully, Heather, the doctor, intervened and spoke to a few of the premiership clubs and a few Olympic athletes who had had a similar injury and asked where we could go to try and seek some help, basically. So they, after basically writing me off and thought I was done, they managed to get some, like, uh, groundbreaking treatment at the time in London, which basically saved my career. But in the meantime, Bristol had already bought Lee Miller for 350 grand. Um, so understandably, when I went back fit, Danny had pulled me to be fairly done and said, Lee, I'll be honest with you, we, we thought you were done. So we paid 350 for Lee. We're going to have to give him a fair crack. And I said, look, I'm just so pleased to be in one piece and back around it. I've got no problem. I'll bide my time. And um, hopefully I can win my shirt back. Um, and then I was coming off the bench and scored a few goals. Peaks and Lee were starting up top. And then it got to a stage where I was about 10, 12 games in and I still wasn't in the team. And, and I, like nothing against Lee, Lee was a good player, good lad. But I think he'd scored one in the first 10 or 12 games. And I, I think I'd got three or four off the bench um, and maybe six appearances. So... And because I'd missed the season before, I was at a point where I thought, I need to play. I'm really getting sick of sitting on the bench. So I went to see the gaffer and explained. He totally understood. And then the, the they put like a circuit out saying I could be available for loan. And Bristol Rovers come straight in. Um, and obviously, I said to Danny, I don't want to go to Rovers. Obviously, the rival City, I don't want to do that. Um, and then I ended up going to Darlington. And I went up to Darlington, did a month at Darlington. And then they went to administration. So I just played six games in a row there, 90 minutes, feeling good, feeling fit and strong. They went to administration, so they couldn't continue paying my wages. So I had to go back to Bristol City or find them loan. In the month I was out, Bristol City had won six on the bounce. Um, so I spoke to said, Gap, come back, these are administration. Do you think I'll get a chance? Um, he said, Lee, I'll be totally honest. We've won six in a row. You're going to come back. You're going to be sat on the bench. So you're better off finding another loan. Um, at the time, I didn't really have an agent. So I had no one to really help me. I rang a few people I know. Didn't see any clubs interested apart from Bristol Rovers. And I was, I was like, I thought, I really don't want to go. And then I come back to Bristol for a couple of days. And then Danny had said, look, why don't you go? Uh, if you do well, it's under my nose. It's not like the end of your Bristol City career. You can come back. And I was like, that for after feel as if I'd both put the Bristol Rovers shirt on and he was like no it's absolutely not the case don't worry about it um, just go and do everything you can you know um, so I kind of reluctantly went to to Rovers um, but I must admit because when I first went there I was feeling out particularly after the obviously the cup game I thought I was going to get some really bad stick off the Rovers fans and the City fans but I can remember doing an interview the first day and basically just said look it's a job I'm trying to Save my career. I'm coming off the back of a really, really bad injury, a career-ending injury. And I love playing football, so I'll give it everything I've got, irrespective of what team I'm in. Um, and I generally hoped I'd go to Rovers and do really well and score a lot of goals, which would create a pathway to go back to Bristol City. Uh, that was like a real ambition of doing, really. Um, and then I went to Rovers. And Rovers were brilliant. The fans were brilliant with me. Um, it, it, it was... It was a tough time because they were in a relegation battle and there was a Ray Graydon signed me. He got sacked after the first game. Um, and there was a caretaker manager and another manager come in. Um, and they were down near the bottom. It was difficult. But then the last six weeks of the season, then Yeovil come in for me, Gary Johnson, to go there on loan. So obviously then I went to Yeovil um, and played, I think, about three games for Yeovil and cracked my ribs. So that, that was the end of that and then come back to Bristol and obviously that was the end of my contract there and unfortunately I didn't get a new contract and that was the end of Bristol City days basically Yeah and you were actually retired at the age of 28 after obviously we've we've spoken about the number of injuries you've had um, but ending your, your football career early and you spoke about agents there obviously you had to find uh, a different profession and you tell us how you got into the game of, of uh, football agents Well to be honest I think with a lot of my injuries and a, and a lot of difficult times, I, as much as I had a fantastic time at Bristol City, when I used to get injured, I used to find it extremely difficult mentally. 
because I, I did, Leo tell you, I love football. I always love football. I love watching football. I love training, love matches, loved everything about it. So when I couldn't do that and you're stuck in the gym, and like Lee said, when a club pays money for you and gives you decent wages, you feel that pressure that like you want to repay them people who put the faith in you. So when you get injured, you, it's, it's really difficult because then people are saying, are you injured again? And you you do, you, you it's a difficult uh, mentally, definitely to to cope with them being to time out the game. Um, and then when you come back and you need some help, and, and at a time, like a lot of the agents weren't too great, um, I can remember thinking, if and not just me on the bad side, on the flip side, I was watching the likes of Peaks, Tommy Dock, Louis Carey, Aaron Brown, my Hill, flying on the pitch and not getting the moves, really, that they should have. Scotty Murray, you know, when you look, it, how, how long did it take Scotty to get the move? And then even when he did move, he moved to Reading, which no disrespect to Reading was a, was a decent move at the time. But the amount of goals and assists Scotty used to do season in, season out, he, he should have gone to a bigger, better uh, team did. So I set my, my thought process thinking, well, I haven't had a good enough career and a big enough name now to become a manager. Um, but maybe I can, at that time, there wasn't many ex-pros who were acting as agents. I thought maybe if I start an agency and do it differently how the old school did and have a more of an understanding of what the lads are going through. And obviously Lee touched on it earlier, the drinking, the gambling, you know, not training properly, not living properly, uh, difficult backgrounds a lot of the boys are from. We've seen it and we've experienced it. So I thought if I start as that, I can have a different spin on it and um, hopefully be successful at it. And, and thankfully it's gone really well and I'm, I'm glad I've chose that career path, to be honest. Yeah, it's great that you're both giving giving something back in your own different ways. So, uh, you know, congratulations to both of you um, on that. Um, do you still keep an eye on Bristol City and and the results, Peacock? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do with most of the clubs, to be honest. Um, it's they'd be so close of recent, and then obviously the. They, they kind of dipped dipped out a little bit early last season, but you, there's only so much you can blame on managers and players. Last year, the size of the city squad was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. The budget that they were tearing through and just trying to paper over cracks rather than doing a total restructuring, and given the given the given the city, given the fans, and given everything what it deserves, people who who actually fight for the sport, which hopefully the the, uh, the current setup will provide, you know, it's you, just, just nearly men again. It's kind of like we were in League One. You know what I mean? They're just constantly just on the brink of something and they'll have a nice run and then falter at the wrong time. The level of consistency required through the season just hasn't been there. You know, they either go for a flyer and die or they, they peak a little bit too early and fall away. Um, I think... You just hope this year is going to be the season. But if you're going to go from the championship to the prem, you've got to absolutely piss the championship or you're just coming back down. You have to have something really, really solid. So whether with the current structure, you need a season beyond this to really gel the players over a season, uh, a two season. So you, you hit it, you've got a real consistency in the prem that everybody knows what they're doing. Because a new squad going up often finds itself coming back down if it's not done right. But... Again, it's it's a it's, it's now a stadium. It's now like a club desperate for just to just to flirt with the Premier League. You know what I mean? And get up there, and it'd be amazing just to experience. And whatever happens in season two happens in season two. But you look at the infrastructure they now have now. I've seen, like obviously see Scotty putting everything on social media regarding the new training facilities. It's a Premier League team in waiting. Mm. So hopefully they get the squad developed enough to allow them to go up there, you know, that because that'd be amazing. It would be amazing. But yeah. I mean, go back to Matthews. I, on the pitch and off the pitch, it was my favourite four seasons, although I was way down the pecking order. So you, you do like being at certain clubs because you're high up the pecking order. Do you know what I mean? It's just how human nature, you like being liked. Um but yeah, it was amazing. So that yeah, so I've always kind of always kind of followed it, always wanted them to do well. I've never been at Swindon and thought of sitting any kind of rivalry whatsoever. You know, it's just one of the, the other teams that I support and I follow. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, same question to you, Matthews, around uh, 
uh, City at the moment. Obviously, as a, a man who's still very much in football in the, in the agents' world, um, I guess you have to keep an eye on all all football, don't you? All teams. Yeah, we do. We, you know, like Pete said, I've always been even before I was an agent. I've always watched football at all levels. Who did you support growing up? Really? I was a Middlesbrough lad, so I was a Middlesbrough fan. So obviously to see Nigel Pearce and Curtis Fleming down there, the two guys. Curtis, I know personally, he's a great guy, really passionate, good coach. I think he's a good addition to the Bristol City staff. And, and Nigel, I don't know personally, but obviously Captain Middlesbrough to the championship title under Brian Robson and is held in huge esteem in these parts of the world for how he was as a player, you know, no-nonsense, no really, really tough guy on the pitch. Um you know, a lot of the, his old teammates I know personally and they said he took no prisoners in the dressing room and wouldn't think twice about pinning the, his own teammates up if they weren't pulling the weight. And obviously, like you say, led that Middlesbrough team to the Premier League. He was, he was immense as a player at Middlesbrough. So um, I really wish them all the success, you know, obviously because me and Peaks are ex-Bristol with the Bristol City players, but them being connected to Middlesbrough, the North East and, and obviously fun, fun memories for myself with them guys. I'd love to see them lead Bristol City in the Premier League. And, and like Pete said, for, for Steve, for Steve Lansdowne, who's put so much money and put the infrastructure in place, it, it'd be unbelievable to, 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 to get the club into the Premier League, you know? Brilliant. Well, chaps, it's been great to uh, reminisce on old times. And, uh, you know, it was clearly a brotherhood back in uh, the early 2000s at Bristol City, which you two were central to. So uh, hopefully you've enjoyed reminiscing. Good luck. Yeah, it'd be brilliant. Good luck for the future and um, I hope that uh, we'll see you again soon. So, uh, chaps, any final words, Lee Matthews? No, just thanks very much. It's been great chatting. Like you say, it's brought a lot of really fun memories back. Um, just can't believe that the years have flew by. The, you know, it's so long ago now, but talking about it and looking at some of them clips, it, it seems like just yesterday, you know. A really, really great time. So, thanks very much for having us on, you know. Thanks, Lee. And uh, Mr. Peacock? Yeah, thanks again for having us on. There's one or two things come up that I totally forgot about, if I'm honest. But there's, we've not even scratched the surface, really, on stories and going back. And we'll come off here and go, oh, I wish I mentioned that, I wish I mentioned that. But it's just great chatting about it, about a four-year period that I absolutely loved. Absolutely loved. And I'd love to revisit. It's one of those things that, play. if you could go back to a time, when would it be? It'd be 2001 to 2005, that kind of four-year period. I'd love to revisit again. Brilliant. Yeah, well, definitely. Joe, uh, Joe um, has spoken about getting together next year and doing a, a Robins reunited um, event somewhere. So uh, you two will have to be involved in that, and uh, there'll be some more stories to be told at that, I'm sure. So uh, keep them keep them saved up, and uh, we'll go for it then. <laughs> but thanks for coming on, guys. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back again soon. Brilliant. Thank you. Cool. See you later. White feeling of home warm smiles crash and burn